This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA here on this Thursday. We're going to talk through a lot of things on today's show. In segment two, we're going to check in with Ethan Lane, the vice president of government affairs at the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Had some movement in the Senate yesterday on a couple of different issues. Doug McCaleb, the U.S. trade rep ag negotiator, saw some progress. And a bill from Senators Sinema and Thune was introduced and had some hearings. Ethan will bring us up to speed on that. And then in segment three, we're going to talk with Arlen Suderman, chief commodities economist at StoneX. We're seeing a relatively quiet day today in the markets, at least relative to yesterday, but there are still a lot of issues percolating, plus supply and demand estimates coming out from the USDA next week. Arlen will bring us up to speed on his expectations for that. At the end of the show, we're going to check in with Tracy Hillebrand of BASF, ahead of winter wheat planting, thinking through some of those risks that are developing out there in the fields this year and what maybe we need to do before that winter wheat seed gets in the ground. Before we cover all of those things, we've got to come back to a core concern that has been underlaying almost every issue throughout the economy for the past year, and that's supply chain, specifically railroads. They have been having labor challenges since the pandemic got started. Those challenges could be coming to a head. Joining us today to bring us up to speed on what's developing there for the Class 1 railroads in this country is Mike Steenhook. He's the executive director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. And Mike, Class 1 railroads right now, they're still running. What's happening in that space as, as we speak here this week? Well, the the, the large railroads, the, the Class 1 railroads, are in the midst of a contract negotiation with the railroad unions. And there's 12 railroad worker unions that collectively bargain on this. And they, they're trying to arrive at a new five-year contract. Now, that this current five-year contract actually expired on in 2020, so they just continued the current contract. That's when negotiations started in 2020, but they haven't come to an agreement. And so what, what happened in in the middle of July is President Biden appointed what's called a presidential emergency board to come up with a set of recommendations that are non-binding. They don't have to accept them, but a set of recommendations to the two parties, the railroads and the railroad workers. Those recommendations were released on August 16th. And so then what that triggered was a 30-day period for the two parties to consider those recommendations. And it regards to pay increases and and healthcare and, and work schedule and those kind of things. So they have until September 16 to either accept those recommendations come to a new, or come to a new agreement. But the worry that we have, and I don't think this is a, a huge probability, but it's still, uh, it would be so seismic that it does merit our attention that after, if they don't come to an agreement by September 16th, the, the workers could engage in some kind of slowdown or even ultimately a strike. And our, our hope is that Congress would not allow that to happen. That's one of the messages that agricultural groups like the Soy Transportation Coalition and a wide array of others are conveying to Congress that you have to intervene if they don't come to an agreement to prevent a strike. And Congress does have that authority. But, you know, when we're on the, on the onset of harvest and with rail service already not operating on all cylinders, we need rail service to improve. We don't need it to take a step back. And if you had any kind of slowdown or even ultimately a, a strike of some sort, it would be very detrimental to our economy. It would be very detriment, detrimental to agriculture. So, Mike, we are getting close. That September 16th uh, date is next Friday. What has the response been from the unions after this PEB release? Are they getting closer to a settlement? So there's 12 unions that are collectively bargaining on uh, with the railroads, and five of those 12 have actually accepted the recommendations of that presidential emergency board. That's really key because hopefully that starts creating uh, a domino effect for the other railroad union um, you know, unions to accept it. So that's that's good news. But you, like you said, we're really up, coming up close to the to the deadline, and so we're. You know, ultimately, our goal is, you know, we're not picking sides on this. We want 
We want an agreement that pays railroad workers fairly. Look, they, they're experiencing sticker shock at the grocery store and gas stations like we are. So, you know, we, we certainly endorse anyone getting a pay, pay increase during these turbulent times and times of inflation that we're experiencing. We just would love to have an agreement that is accessible to the railroads that allow them to be successful, railroad workers that allow them to, to be successful, but making sure that service doesn't get interrupted because a lot is riding on, on that mode of transportation to service the needs of agriculture and a host of other industries. Mike, in your conversations with people in Washington, D.C., the folks who in a last resort might require the, the railroads to keep working, are they prepared for that? Is there the acceptance in D.C. that it might come to a federal order? Well, it's certainly on their radar screen, and that's something that we're continuing to do. Uh, you know, it's, it's in no one's interest, including members of Congress and the administration, to have a railroad slowdown right before the midterm election. So, you know, we all just need to state the obvious that there is a midterm election coming up, and it's in no one's interest, even politically, to see something like that happen. So that's why, you know, I, I, if I was a betting man, I would, I would wager that if it came to that, Congress would intervene. But I, again, even though I, I have that confidence, the consequences of even a modest slowdown would be so significant for agriculture during this, at, at the advent of harvest season and for other industries that it does warrant our attention and our thorough engagement. And that's what we're doing. Indeed, it does. And folks, that date, September 16th, one week away, be watching for headlines, be watching for news out of the railroad industry. Mike, while we've got you, we are gearing up for harvest. Of course, ocean transport is going to be a huge piece of that. How does it look for the, the shipping, the ocean shipping for soybeans as we gear up for harvest? Well, we're seeing some of the congestion die down on the West Coast, but we're seeing it also augmented on the on the East Coast. And you know, one of the reasons for that is there's kind of a contract negotiation going on on the West Coast with with uh, longshoremen. Um, so we're still seeing some congestion. Uh, it's kind of shifted a bit. Um, you know, we're very happy. At least you know, kind of knock on wood, we haven't had a hurricane impact the Gulf uh, at least thus far. So we're certainly hopeful for that to continue. Not having a hurricane Ida like we had last year. So I, you know, I think overall, from at least a bulk perspective, we're we're pretty well positioned. Again, provided that we don't have a hurricane in the Gulf, um, to make sure that we're able to get product out of that out of that key export region for us down by New by New Orleans. All right, folks, we'll be continuing to keep track of all of the logistics issues that are required to get this crop to market. Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation, no doubt keeping track of those as well. Mike, where can folks keep up with the work you do with the Soy Transportation Coalition? Well, people can always just go out, go to soytransportation.org and reach out to me directly. Fantastic. Make use of Mike Steenhook, folks. He's a fantastic resource. Mike, appreciate you taking the time to join us here on AOA Today. Thank you, Mike. Good to be with you. And folks, stick around. When AOA returns, we will be talking with Ethan Lane, the Vice President of Government Affairs there at the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. We're going to talk about some of these movements that are happening in Washington, D.C., some of the progress that's being made with regard to issues that matter to livestock producers. Stick around. We'll have more AOA coming up after this. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. This is the place most people think of when they hear that a seed has been engineered for superior performance and designed with proven genetic traits. Because something like that could only come from a lab, right? But this is where Allegiant Seed by CHS comes from. It's made by farmers for farmers. Its advanced genetics and unbeatable value are proven here in their fields to make sure they do the job in yours. Talk to your CHS retailer about Allegiant Seed today 
or learn more at AllegiantSeed.com. Hi, I'm Brent Whitefoot, your Chief Agri-District Manager for Western Nebraska. I'll be at Husker Harvest Days, Lot 430, on September 13th through the 15th, talking with farmers and equipment dealers from all over the region about our customized product solutions designed to fit your operational needs. Our grain storage, handling, and conditioning products are designed to last and help you save time and money every step of the way. Have questions? Give me a call at 308-440-4737 or check us out at agra.chiefind.com. Would you know what to do in a poison emergency? Would you know whom to call? Well, the answer is poison help. 1-800-222-1222. Poison help is a 24-7 government hotline staffed by poison experts. It's free to call and available in over 100 languages. Every second counts in a poison emergency. Don't waste it wondering who to call. Save poison help in your phone today. 1-800-222-1222. Fifty-four. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA here on this Thursday. We talk a lot about agricultural exports on the show because agricultural exports return a tremendous amount of value to agricultural producers held a vote. Joining me today for an update on that vote and other issues pending in Washington, D.C. is Ethan Lane, the Vice President of Government Affairs at NCBA. And Ethan, what did the Senate Finance Committee say to Mr. McCaleb yesterday? Well, good morning, Mike. You know, it was a, a kind of a, a little bit of a kumbaya for uh, the idea that we're going to have an ag trade negotiator. You know, it was, a, it was a, a unanimous vote to send him to the full Senate. But uh, we clearly heard from, from members of that committee, and I think this is echoed throughout the agriculture community in Washington, uh, that there is a lot of disappointment by the lack of engagement and activity on this front by the Biden White House so far. You know, after four years of the Trump administration really going after trade deals and, and, and moving the ball forward uh, on, on these issues for our industry, uh, there just hasn't been much much uh, fire in the, in the belly from the Biden administration on this front. So we're hopeful that uh, that, that, that Doug McCaleb moving into that role will, will help with that process a little bit. But I, I think he kind of made this clear and, and uh, you know, it was, it was noted during the hearing that he serves at the pleasure of the administration. And, and uh, so they're going to have to set that tone for him moving into this role and give him the leeway to go ahead and, and move the ball a little bit. Full Senate vote. Ethan, that calendar is getting awful full here ahead of the midterm elections. Will we get a McCaleb nomination confirmed before that vote? You know, we were literally just sitting around the office here talking about exactly that. Uh, you know, they, their, their biggest item, obviously, between now and the end of the month is to fund the government and make sure that it stays open through the election. Um, but they usually have some time on the calendar as they're waiting for other procedural votes and things to pick up and clear some of these nominations. So uh, I'd like to think that's, that's pretty obvious. They should be able to do that here in the next few weeks. But, but to your point, uh, it is getting awfully crowded on the Senate calendar, and, and that is, as I like to remind people, the most precious commodity in Washington, Senate floor time. Uh, so we'll see if they in, can get that thing orchestrated, but, but they really need to. 
All right. All right. Need to see some some rubber hit the road on that issue. Ethan, another thing filling up that precious Senate time, of course, is the bill introduced by Senator Thune and Kirsten Sinema, the bill to prevent the regulation of livestock emissions. It's an issue that's uh, on the minds of a lot of folks this year. What was the conversation about that bill here in D.C. this week? Well, you know, the, the, the hearing was interesting. I mean, it was kind of the usual sus, sus, suspects uh, showing up to uh, to argue both sides of, of that issue. And, you know, that's something that we have uh, kept at bay through appropriations riders uh, for more than 10 years now, and we'll continue that process. But this is an effort to kind of codify that, uh, that protection for livestock uh, to prohibit that, that uh, greenhouse gas emissions uh, regulation by EPA. Uh, we heard some of those sort of environmental champions like uh, Ed Markey uh, and and you know and others come to the come to the hearing in in, uh, in opposition to this legislation. Shelley Moore Capito from West Virginia uh, was was a, a vocal advocate in favor of it. Uh, you know this is one where you're not going to change anybody's mind um, on this issue. You know it, it, and and I, I don't foresee a, a a real path forward here. They didn't vote on the bill yesterday. It was it was just a hearing to kind of uh, evaluate the legislation. But certainly something we want to continue to keep in front of folks up on Capitol Hill because, boy, it would be uh, a, a really bad idea to go down that road of, of uh, trying to implement that for agriculture through EPA. And Ethan, let's take a step back as we talk about regulating livestock emissions. I mean, what has been proposed out there that Senator Thune's bill would prevent that uh, that NCBA is excited about? Well, you know, quite quite literally, the idea that you're going to, uh, you know, uh, measure and regulate the volume of uh, either flatulence or or uh, or burps from from cattle, uh, you know, coming out of coming out of uh, our industry, um, you know, anyone who's working in those open air environments knows that that's incredibly different than regulating emissions from an automobile uh, or or other parts of the economy, which, by the way, you know, I would remind people are are many times multiples. Uh, of impact compared to our very, very small 2% of greenhouse gas emissions coming out of the cattle industry. Um, nevertheless, you know, we've seen this outsized focus on livestock production, um, whether it's the New York Times or the Guardian or any of these newspapers um, that, that like to tell their readers that somehow that 2% is, is the whole ball game, right? So this is really more of a political issue than it is anything else. Um, but for our industry to put some of these um, these untenable and, quite frankly, unachievable uh, monitoring goals in place and, and then regulate against them for our, for our producers would be catastrophic. Uh, it's just, not only can it, can it not scientifically and physically be done, um, but it would just be used as a bludgeon to, to prevent our industry from, from getting that high-quality product to, to uh, store shelves around the country. Uh, by the way, just at the time when the, when the White House is talking about food shortages and, and making sure that people don't go hungry. Absolutely. I mean, we've got a couple of different factors coming together here at the same time. And I also want to ask you, Ethan, while we're here last week, I had the opportunity to bump into Representative G.T. Thompson. He was at the Farm Progress Show talking to farmers about what he expects for the Farm Bill. And of course, NCBA is going to be a crucial part of that Farm Bill conversation. Uh, what have you been hearing uh, with regard to that coming in 2023? Well, you know, I think the, the conversation is all about money right now, where we've been hearing for the better part of a year that they're expecting this to be a flat farm bill. Uh, that means no new funding. We're doing that in an obvious, you know, inflationary environment. I mean, you can't go uh, a day without hearing about that in the news. Um, you know, GT has made some comments in the last few weeks uh, about the fact that, that perhaps they can find some money for specific programs that are working. You know, we have some concerns about risk management tools, things like uh, livestock risk protection a program that was underutilized previously that more and more producers are finding value in in the, in the cattle community. Um, so it, it was kind of kind of nice to hear GT, uh, you know, uh, divide those different needs into some some buckets and and identify some things that perhaps we could find some funding for. Um, but he is feeling like that conversation is late. Uh, you know that that the, that they really need to hit the ground running in January, assuming uh, he is going to be the chairman coming into the next Congress. Uh, he has an ambitious agenda. He wants to get started right away, start having some of that oversight and, and, and start working towards a finished farm bill. Um, but that is going to be an uphill battle because it's going to be it's going to be a much different environment here in Washington. Most likely with Republican control, the House means more fiscal discipline um, after the last couple of years of free spending. That's going to be a shock to a lot of folks and, and even a lot of folks in agriculture um, as we try to figure out how to get another farm bill done.
That's a great point, Ethan. And I've heard this comment, and maybe it was GT really starting to beat the drum, that this farm bill, we're, we're developing these a little bit late in the game. You've worked in Washington, D.C. for some time. You've seen these farm bills come to fruition. Ethan, if, if we're having these conversations, maybe hitting the ground running in January, will we have a farm bill by the time we get to November 23? You know, that is definitely something that, that long-time you know, agricultural uh, lobbyists are starting to talk about whether we always, you know, last three farm bills, people have kind of pronounced it the last farm bill, right? The last time we're going to get a full farm bill. Um, I'm hearing as much of that or more this time around. Uh, some of that is just, you know, the committees, the, the ag committees in general, typically very bipartisan, have been pretty partisan. There's been a lot of sort of bad feelings and rancor over this Congress. Um, you know, that doesn't bode well for a bipartisan bill where you kind of have to marry two very different agendas between the nutrition and, 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 you know, and, and, and food assistance camp and the agricultural camp. Um, that really requires a lot, a lot of bipartisan compromise. That's not really the environment up here right now. Um, so when you add that to what is going to be, as I said earlier, a, a, a pretty resource-deprived environment financially, that, that is not a, a great uh, playing field on which to, to do a, a massive bill like this. But you know, we've seen them before where they, they miss that deadline, they do a reauthorization, and a year or two later they go ahead and get it done. And that's always a possibility as well. But I, I think it's probably remote to think that they're going to get all this work done and get a bill across the finish line by this time next year. And those elections are there in the break. Ethan, looking ahead to these fall elections, NCPA really got anything you're pulling for? You know, we're watching the same map everybody else is. Uh, it's been interesting to watch some of these dynamics change. You know, two or three months ago, we were talking about a potential 30-seat pickup for Republicans. That might be more like 10 seats now. Um, I'm even hearing some more pessimistic uh, observers say that it could be less than 10 seats. And, you know, that's a mix of some of the candidates that are coming out of the primaries and voters activating based on some of these Supreme Court decisions we've seen recently. Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a strange election cycle, as some of them always are. Um, but we're definitely watching that balance. We're watching some of these races in key agricultural areas. Um, you know, we need friends on both sides of the aisle, so we don't necessarily want to pull for one team or the other. What we do want is, is, is members coming to Washington ready to support agriculture and the cattle industry. That's right. If the folks in D.C. are willing to take a look at the cattle industry, we got to have folks in the cattle industry willing to talk back and tell our story. Ethan Lane, Vice President of Government Affairs at NCBA, thanks for joining us today and for telling that story in D.C. You bet, Mike. Thanks. And folks, stick around. We'll be talking with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist with Stonex when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Hi, this is Jeff Schmidt. I'm your Chief Agri-District Manager for Eastern Nebraska. I will be at Husker Harvest Days on Lot 430 on September 13th through the 15th. We'll be talking with farmers and equipment dealers from all over the region about our customized product solutions that are designed to fit your operational needs. If you have any questions, give me a call, 308-440-8768, or check out our library of products at agra.chiefind.com. Today's cereal plant breeders efforts now contribute up to 70% of your farm yields, up from 50% via better plant genetic potential. The Seed Innovation Protection Alliance member companies want to earn your business as they reinvest 15% of their sales into better genetics with new traits for higher yield, improved end-use quality, and crop vigor for a changing environment. Join us in reinvesting in your future. Buy new, professionally produced seed from authorized seed companies and dealers. To report a seed infringement, call 1-844-SEED-TIP. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Let's take a look at what's going on in the grain and oil seed and livestock trade here on Thursday. We've seen quarter beans kind of gyrate around the unchanged mark, uh, try and uh, test both sides of unchanged on Thursday. Wheat pulling back from overnight highs as well after we saw more strength there. U.S. dollar index pushing back towards new highs over 110, and, and that may be a weight here, it appears, on the commodity market. It says fund managers are painting with a broad brush as we see trade is really trading within a broader context of recession fears right now. And there's expectations that demand for commodities will tank as recession hits the global economy. And that's really just coloring the filter through which traders are interpreting fundamental supply and demand data. 
Now, Russia remains adamant that safe corridor arrangement for Ukrainian grain shipments must change. Ukraine arguing that two-thirds of the grain leaving its ports is destined for poorer countries in Asia, Africa, and the Middle East. This remains another headline risk for the markets as it unfolds. Argentina's temporary offer of 200 pesos to the dollar for farmers who sell soybeans. They dumped 2.13 million metric tons on the market in the first two days with Chinese buyers sweeping in to take a portion of that. And that remains a big uh, factor here, especially in this soybean market, as these sales are, are really kind of just weighing on this soy complex as a whole. Now, we are also keeping a cautious eye on Monday's USDA reports. Traders not expecting many changes to occur to USDA's bean numbers this month. So if there are any surprises in the government soybean numbers in either direction, it could cause a rapid swing in bean prices following the reports. Trade is expecting some changes in the corn yield possibly coming down as well, although the question is just how much is USDA willing to go. Crude oil up $1.67 a barrel, $83.61. This is AOA. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. We, 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 we are, are the, the Foundation, Foundation Fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. Looking out at the markets today, we've actually got what we can call a quiet day in the markets. We've got wheat moving. That's the big change today. Wheat, uh, Chicago up, excuse me, rather down 10 to 12 cents here on the day. Everything else relatively slow moving. Joining us for an update on what is happening in these markets is Arlen Suderman. He's the chief commodities economist with Stonex. And Arlen, kind of nice to have a breather for a day, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, we never know how long that breather is going to last in these markets with the volatility. It's been a wild ride overall. A little bit more of a shift toward trading recessionary fears going forward. And um, and that's what the market's kind of focused on right now, fearing that uh, uh, declining global economy is going to result in less demand for commodities. That may be more true for some commodities than others. For example, people still eat in a recession, although it may change kind of what they eat in their diet and how they eat on the diet, on the value chain. Um, but overall, this market's painting with a broad brush right now and, and looking at some negative seasonal um, tendencies. Arlen, amidst all the negative seasonal tendencies, earlier this week we had Vladimir Putin come out. He's not satisfied, he says, with the way the grain exports have been going from Russia and Ukraine. Saw that give wheat a big pop earlier in the week. Today we're seeing a sell-off. What's changed overnight? Well, frankly, I was surprised that Putin didn't come out with that charge sooner because uh, when they started this agreement, I thought, okay, this is just a matter of time before Putin uh, charges Ukraine with cheating and uh, uses that as an excuse then to try to sweep into the ports and try take control of them or take some action against Ukraine. They haven't done that yet, but they haven't started leveling the charges of cheating. And they call it outrageous cheating that Ukraine is doing. It's a, they say only about two cargoes of the uh, ships that have left Ukraine have actually gone to poor countries. Uh, and roughly as of the latest data saw yesterday, 96 ships, I believe, had left Ukraine with grain. 
more corn than wheat. Uh, most of the wheat is going over land to the west by rail. Um, so more corn and pulses and other crops are going on those ships. Um, but Ukraine countered that this morning was saying, look, two-thirds of the ships that have left our ports have gone to other Asian countries, African countries, um, Middle East countries that are generally lower income and, and poor, and, and they, they point to the fact that the UN food price index has dropped since the beginning of the safe corridor passage, uh, indicating that it has relieved to some of the uh, food inflation problems around the world. This is Russia being Russia. It doesn't like the fact that Ukraine is moving grain at a time when it's struggling to get exports. Um, new studies have found that um, even though Russia continues to sell grain, uh, that many um, people funding the purchases of those grains, many of the banks are reluctant for um, the buyers of that grain to do business with Russian grain companies. And uh, furthermore, just the financing and paying for that grain has become more challenging. And so it's uh, Russian prices are really falling in this environment, and they've really struggled to maintain their export pace following a big crop. And Russian farmers are getting to discouraged about planting winter wheat for the coming year. So in light of that, they watch uh, Ukraine being able to move grain, and they're not able to, and uh, that doesn't go over well. And, and frankly, we said from the start, it doesn't serve Russia's purpose very well to see Ukraine exporting grain, which raises revenue for them and defending themselves against the Russian invasion. And so it's just a matter of time before Russia tries to put a stop to it. Arlen, you mentioned the cost of financing, and that's a concern we've seen really develop across industries. I was reading an article that margin calls in the energy sector in Europe are $1.5 trillion right now. This energy play is going to be fascinating. Look out longer term, Arlen, what do you see coming in the world of crude oil and natural gas here as we get into fall and get into the winter? Yeah, I think the, you know, is, is we've got a lot of expectations in the U.S. marketplace that peak inflation is behind us. I'm not ready to say that yet, and I think the coal in the uh, the, the canary in the coal mine, so to speak, is going to be how Europe gets through the winter. Um, they've been storing up as much natural gas as they can for the coming winter to help them get through the winter. I was just looking at one of the early forecasts for the winter, and it shows Western Europe having a colder than normal winter this year. Our analysts in London believe that they will be able to store enough natural gas as long as they see continued non-Russian sources continue to come in to get them through the winter. But that means importing a lot of natural gas from the United States. That means importing a lot of diesel from the United States as they're industry switch from natural gas to diesel. That's going to raise our prices, but there's still a lot of people in the industry who question whether Europe will be able to get through this winter. And when you're looking at natural gas prices that recently were 10 or 12 times what we're, uh, the elevated prices we're paying in the United States, you wonder how high could it go. Well, natural gas is also the primary feedstock for nitrogen fertilizer produced in, in, in Europe and exported to other parts of the world and for the crop chemicals needed to grow food around the world. Um, so that's going to be a real key if natural gas is if it's uneconomical to use it for those purposes if they need it for heating houses and keeping people warm then that creates some real challenges for 2023 in many different sectors of the global economy, including food inflation concerns. So I think how Europe gets through is going to be a real question. Now, Great Britain, their new prime minister, just came out and said that they're going to put cost controls on energy consumption. Uh, going forward while they also expand drilling and production in the North Sea. Um, the problem with cost controls is you don't ration demand to the levels you need. You can run into legitimate shortages of energy. Uh, so I'm really concerned about how we're going to get through the winter going forward, and it's going to be a tough winter, I think, for Europe, especially if they do end up colder than normal, and that's going to have implications uh, for the United States and other Western economies as well.
That's a great point, Arlen. I'm glad you brought up that new prime minister from the UK. With the cost control measure she's announced, that's interesting, but she also said encourage drilling and production. It's the first time we've really heard a head of state come out and say, we need more oil, Arlen. But that, that price response, that drop in the price of crude could create some issues for ethanol. I saw production was down this past week, Arlen. We're in a seasonal period, though, here waiting for harvest in that ethanol industry, aren't we? Yeah, we really are, and this is kind of a, a down maintenance time as well. Old crop supply is getting tighter, so you need to do maintenance. This is good timing ahead of the new crop supplies coming together and that move through the plant well. Um, so I'm not too concerned about that. Obviously, we have seen some, some of the export data that overall exports of ethanol this year have been really strong, but the latest data show, which was for the month of July, did show that they did fall off in the month of July. We need to see that sustained strength. That's another way of stretching our fuel supplies overall longer term. I did notice that Reuters came out with a hit piece on ethanol this morning, posted it on social media uh, at about 8.55, and correspondingly, that's about the time that the corn market and wheat market and soybean market all fell. And, and dropped into negative territory. So that's something we'll have to watch as well. Um, and uh, right now is not necessarily a time that we need to be t attacking our energy supplies um, as we go into this winter's crisis. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with you, Arlen, but that food inflation pressure, I think, is going to be an angle of attack we'll see as this winter heats up. I did want to turn your focus just briefly to the strength of the U.S. dollar. We're remaining hanging out here roughly at 20-year highs, Arlen. Where do you see some relief coming here in the value of the dollar? Well, unfortunately, I don't see a lot of relief in the near term. Yes, there are ebb and flows, and the market rarely goes straight up or straight down. Um, but overall, the value of the dollar is also determined by the value of its competitors, and the primary competitors are going to be the euro, uh, the yen, um, and uh, the yuan from China. Um, and all those currencies have problems. Uh, starting backwards with China, they're still in a monetary um, uh, spending spree trying to stimulate their economy and easy money policy right now, which weakens the value of their currency is their zero COVID policy has really taken a hit on their economy. If you look at Europe, they, they're on the front lines of the Ukrainian war right now. They have many challenges ahead of them with their economy. Um, and so we did see the uh, European Central Bank this morning elevate their primary interest rate by 75 basis points, but they're well beyond the, behind the United States on interest rates. Um, so that still leaves them weaker than the dollar. And then you look at the Japanese yen, they've got significant economic problems there as well. Well, and uh, so that leaves the dollar continuing to go higher as a path of least resistance, which during the times of commodity tightness, they still have to buy from somewhere. But as commodities start increasing in supply, it means the U.S. struggles to compete. And that's most directly hurting us with wheat sales overseas as well as meat sales overseas right now where we have plenty of competitors. Arlen, thinking about that supply next week, we're going to get the supply and demand estimates from the USDA. Soybean yield. Arlen, Stonex, do you think that's coming down? Oh, right now we're up 51.8, which is very close to where USDA is. My agronomy background says that it probably will be trending down, maybe not in this report, but in future reports. All right, we'll be talking to you as that happens. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist with Stonex. Arlen, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. And folks, stick around when AOA returns. We're going to talk with Tracy Hillenbrand of BASF about what to do for that winter wheat seed before you stick it in the ground. Stay here for more AOA coming up after this. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. 
Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner too. Through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. The average American eats 250 eggs per year, which translates to a total annual consumption of 76.5 billion eggs in the U.S. About 60% of eggs produced here in the U.S. are used by consumers and about 9% are used by the food service industry. A chef's hat is said to have a pleat for each of the many ways you can cook eggs. The color can range from white to deep brown. Hens with white feathers and earlobes lay white-shelled eggs, while hens with red feathers and earlobes lay brown-shelled eggs. Because breeds that lay brown eggs are typically slightly larger birds, they require more food, making brown eggs usually more expensive than white. You can tell whether an egg is fresh or stale by dropping it in water. A fresh egg will sink, but a stale one will float. Eggs also contain all the essential protein, minerals, and vitamins, and egg yolks are one of the few foods that naturally contain vitamin D. And eggs are also good for your eyes because they contain lutein, which helps prevent age-related cataracts and muscle degeneration. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. We gather together in communities across the nation to remember and honor, to celebrate and support, to light the night. Join us as we lift our lanterns high in order to move toward a world free of blood cancers. Join us as we light the night for a loved one. Join us. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Our mission is to cure leukemia, lymphoma, Hodgkin's disease, and myeloma. Our aim is to improve the quality of life of patients and their families. Join us. We are LLS, and when we walk, cancer runs. Join your community and help bring light to the darkness of cancer. Join us as we light the night. Find your local event at lightthenight.org. That's lightthenight.org. When it comes to making plans, you are the best. What about those round trips, which are perfect on your way there and perfect on your way back? Or those meetings with friends, surprise parties, camps, birthdays. The same way you plan for the important moments, start planning to protect you and your loved ones from a natural disaster. Sign up for local weather and emergency alerts. Prepare an emergency kit and make a family communications plan. Get started at ready.gov plan. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. 
Well, folks, thanks for tuning in to AOA here on this Thursday. You know, I talked to a lot of folks at the Farm Progress Show this past year, and one theme that kept coming up as I was talking to growers from anywhere in this country was that this past year, weather-wise, created some challenges. Some of your soils didn't see rain for an extended period of time, and some of your soils probably saw way too much rain way too often. And regardless, all of these considerations might be making some folks rethink their crop plans as we head into 2023. Well, I want to talk with Tracy Hillenbrand. She is a regional technical representative with BASF, and she's thinking about seed treatments here ahead of wet winter wheat planting season. She joins us today. Tracy, tell us, how are things looking there across uh, your territory? Hi, Mike. It's great to be here today and to get to talk with you and all of your listeners. Uh, it's, I'm located in Fargo today, and it's another nice day, and seems like Spring and winter wheat is wrapping up, and we're just waiting for those beans to start turning. Absolutely. It is getting very, very close. And with that winter wheat planting season, Tracy, what issues are on your mind? What do growers need to be thinking about here before that seed goes in the ground? Yeah, there's lots of things to be considering when we're getting ready for winter wheat planting. One thing that I think is a great thing to consider is your seed treatment. So the coloring that's on your seed not all of those are going to be equal when we start looking and taking a deeper dive at them. They help you control different types of uh, fungicides or they have different fungicides and insecticides on the seeds and allow us to control some of the different diseases that might be occurring. So in parts of our area, we're seeing some very, very wet conditions. We're going to be um, getting ready to have a, a wetter season in part of North Dakota. And in those areas, we might need to be watching out for some rhizoctonia and different uh, water molds that could be moving in. So knowing the types of fungicides like your stamina F4, which is a complete fungicide offering, helps us protect against those. And in some of our dry areas, we're still able to see some diseases like fusarium moving in and can affect our wheat stands. And wheat stands are important for us right away in the year. What better way to get yield than to uh, uh, protect those early stands, especially against diseases? Absolutely. Another how was how can... was fusarium this year, Tracy? In the territory, the growers you work with, was that much of a concern given the tough spring we saw across much of the northern plains? So I think the fusarium was a little patchy this year. We had quite a wet start, and I think um, so. There's different types of fusarium. Some of them prefer warmer wet weather and some of them prefer um, more of a warm dry weather so some of those wetter ones you might have seen more impact on your soybean crop across the area that impacts a little hard, harder with the wet areas and in some of those dry areas that's perfect for the for fusarium foot rot and crown rot that comes and affects our wheat stands as well so overall i would say it's a little bit of a more mild mild year for the fusarium infection but I still saw it across the area. And it's always good to be preventative, be proactive with these things. I understand with a lot of seed treatments, not only are we helping fend off some of those early season threats, by giving that crop a good stand early on, oftentimes you see that yield bump increase, even if there's not a disease pressure. Is that something you've seen in your research, Tracy? Yes, very much so. So we have um, biologicals that are included as well in some of those products that give you a, a better ability to control your moisture changes, right? This year, incredible amounts of rain for most of us right in the beginning. Then for a good portion of the state, we didn't see any rain in late June into July, or if we did get any, it was very little. So there's products in the um, that we have that allow a sponge effect to, to decrease the amount of drastic changes for our crops to give them a, more, more plant health benefits. Another one that we see with the changes in water was insect pressure too, right? Um, this late season, I don't know about you guys, but man, the amount of grasshoppers that we're seeing. Um, the grasshoppers. Yes, they are very thick this year. Yeah, so that's another thing to consider. They love to chew on new and emerging plants, so it's a great thing to get a seed treatment on that helps with the uh grasshopper feedings and presence in the area. So Poncho XC is a great option if you have any um, grasshopper, grasshopper feedings. Hessian flies is another concern in our winter wheat, so we're able to get control with that as well. 
Fantastic. Tracy, before we let you go, if you could talk to growers who are looking ahead to their, their winter wheat seeding, anything else you'd want to tell them here before they get that all-important seed in the ground here this year? Another thing to do right now is a great time to go out and scout for wireworms. If you're not sure, it's a great thing to talk to your agronomist about um, or your BSF rep to learn how to trap for those wireworms so we know what that pressure is going to be. With wireworms, they're, they're a hidden pest. You don't know what um, the amount of feeding is going to be always, but we have a new product called Taraxa F4 that offers that complete fungicide package we have as well as a wireworm elimination. So another thing to think about, especially on the western side of the state, if you rotate into corn or sunflowers, wireworms are another pest we see in those crops as well. So treat them and kill them in your spring and winter wheat um, for additional control for your corn and sunflower crops as well. Fantastic, folks. We've been talking to Tracy Hillenbrand. She's a regional technical representative. Tracy, thanks for joining us today and for getting these thoughts front of mind here ahead of that planting season. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. And folks, do be sure to tune in to AOA tomorrow. We'll resume our conversations, talk about other issues that are impacting agriculture. Glenn Tonser, professor of ag economics at Kansas State University, will be joining us. He's been tracking the inflation impact on consumers in the meat case. How much, or I guess, how are they reacting to these price hikes that we've been seeing now for over a year in the meat case? Glenn has been tracking it so far. I don't want to spoil his numbers for tomorrow, but in months past, consumers have been sticking with it. They have been continuing to buy that U.S. beef. We'll see if that trend continues as Glenn Tonser joins us here on AOA. Folks, thanks for tuning in. We wish you the very best. And if you're getting those combines out today, getting them cleaned, getting them ready, some of you might be nosing into some fields, shoot us a snap. Find us on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show. Let us know how it looks in your neck of the woods. We'll see you tomorrow for more here on AOA. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Hi, I'm Brent Whitefoot, your Chief Agri-District Manager for Western Nebraska. I'll be at Husker Harvest Days, Lot 430, on September 13th through the 15th, talking with farmers and equipment dealers from all over the region about our customized product solutions designed to fit your operational needs. Our grain storage, handling, and conditioning products are designed to last and help you save time and money every step of the way. Have questions? Give me a call at 308-440-4737 or check us out at agra.chiefind.com. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting.